0: Years ago, you did an interview which may come back to haunt you. What, you know what I'm going to say, right? No.
1: Okay. You did an interview in which you said, uh, not the worst thing to slap a woman now and then. As I remember, you said you don't do it with a clenched fist. It's better to do it with an open hand.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I, didn't I love that.
2: I haven't changed my opinion. You haven't? No. Not at all. You think
1: it's good to slap a woman?
2: No, I don't think it's good. You I don't think, think it's bad. It must, I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it.
3: Oh yeah, my favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast because it's a very good podcast Oh yeah Yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah It's a funny, funny, funny funny show Sick and Wrong Podcast. It's a miraculous podcast. It's like the best podcast in the whole wide, wide, wide
1: world. Good evening. Welcome to Second Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon.
0: Hello, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya.
1: What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Uh,
0: not much. Just saw my neighbor got uh, taken away to the loony bin. <laughs>
1: Yeah, what was the deal with that? You said she was screaming, like, as if she was possessed, like, screaming for an exorcist?
0: Yeah, like, full-on exorcist screaming for a couple of hours, and then, because she sees the shadow people in the house, so you could hear her being, like, her mum was like, they're not real, they're not there, and she was like, I don't want you to die, I don't want you to go to hell! (sighs) And just loads of screaming. I turned the telly off, and I was like, I'm going to listen to this, and, like, folded my laundry, had a little glass of wine.
1: Wow. Is she, like, have you uh, met her before? Like, is she developing? No, she's disabled? in and out
0: of, she's, yeah, she's in and out of the nut house. So I never actually, I only know when she's home because the kickoffs happen like this. Like, she screams. It's because she sees shadow people in that house. And then when she does, she goes nuts.
1: So was she taken out in, like, a straitjacket?
0: No, they walked her out, but you could hear her crying all the way. Like just as soon as they took her out, she was like screaming down the street, like wailing.
1: Whoa, that is kind of crazy. You're gonna miss that. You'll, you'll have plenty, yeah, in a way, I am. Well, you'll have plenty of nutters to deal with here.
0: But this is a different nutter because she's convinced the shadow people in that house, and then the house at the end of the street has had spooky stuff happen to it. So it's kind of interesting, being like maybe they. Is shadow people in there, and just nobody f- believes her, and it drives her crazy. Has she is obviously crazy too. Well, you
1: guys kind of have like a duplex, right? It's one house, but it's split in two.
0: It's four houses, and we are all connected.
1: Okay, so it's four. All right, I don't know how what they would call that here, but uh, do you know if there's ever been a murder in this in the um, property?
0: No, I'm not sure, but obviously this. The spooky things happened at the house at the end, and then the house next to me has this girl kicking off about shadow people, and she sees them all the time when she's here.
1: Maybe she's like the kid in the Sixth Sense, like she can actually see them. I see dead people. You
0: know what? You know who? You know who I forgot was in Sixth Sense? It's Tony Collette, isn't it? Oh,
1: is she the mom? She's his
0: mom. Yeah. I don't remember.
1: It's I, haven't seen in, I haven't seen that in a long time.
0: I wonder if that film holds up because we all know the twist. I haven't seen it in ages and ages, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna watch it again because I wanna see Toni Collette. I, li- I like her, she's a great actress.
1: That was like the first M. Night Malaman movie that Shyamalan. had the twist, and then he just does the same thing every other Big, movie, but just different settings, different actors.
0: Yeah, I'm not a fan of his no. works.
1: <laughs> wow, so I guess uh, she'll probably be back screaming about shadow people in a few days, a couple weeks.
0: No, th- she tends to go away for a long period of time. So I don't oh. know. She'll be back for months.
1: We should get her Maybe on the show. Christmas. Talk about these shadow uh, people.
0: Yeah, I don't really want her coming in my house and being <laughs> like the shadow people are also in here. Because uh, to me, my house is really nice, has good vibes to it. I don't really want to be bringing that negativity into my life. So I'd be worried no, that okay. she's
1: going to go after Chi Chi. Do you ever like, uh, if she's around, she? do you like, lock Chi Chi up?
0: There's like five cats in the house next. She has five cats in there. Why would she go for Chi-Chi? I don't know. When Maybe the, she
1: thinks... Who knows? She's insane. You never know. Maybe she thinks Chi-Chi is the uh, cat the shadow, shadow man. person. Shadow cat. Maybe he's a shadow he, cat.
0: He looks like a shadow man.
1: <laughs> so uh, this, this week was weird for me. I had three separate incidents where I was somewhat emasculated by uh, older women.
0: Good. It's about time. The, the rise of the straight man straight white man it should be over now and you should all just be used to it used it was
1: it. odd it doesn't usually happen that way like i don't i mean i don't know the last time i've encountered an older lady that made me feel less of a man um, <laughs> but two of these incidents involved purchasing booze so uh last sunday i uh did like a uh, last minute, I'm going to go on StubHub and see if there's any tickets for the Sparks show at the Greek. Sparks are playing with, um, they might be giants. And I was kind of on the fence with that show. And I've been doing that for a while. Like if I'm on the fence for a show, I won't buy a ticket until the day of, I'll go on StubHub. And if they're like cheap, fuck it, why not? I was, Might as well. So I went by myself. Like I got this ticket and it was in like, uh, it was at the Hollywood Bowl, which is a great venue, but it was like the second row back so it was like promenade one and tickets go for like a hundred dollars i got a ticket for ten dollars just mental um but I, I couldn't care less about they might be giants i don't know people like them i was never into that band so i i miss them but i did make it for sparks which was great so when i got there i uh went up to like you know the the, the little beer cart and i was like gonna order a beer and it was like domestic beer twenty dollars and so yeah. i was i was like all right whatever i'll just take a domestic. And she was just like, "It's Bud Light, you know." And I was like, "Fine, domestic." I would kick
0: off, not because of the connotations, but I think Budweiser is the worst of all the beers. I won't drink Budweiser. I don't drink Carling, and I don't drink Carlsberg because do you know what happens ten minutes after you drink any of them? You are pissing.
1: You You are pissing
0: nonstop all (laughs) night.
1: I don't like Bud Light. I like Miller Light, but I'll drink Bud Light if I have to because I really don't care. Like it doesn't really bother me. And I couldn't care less if it's like the the trans beer or whatever it is, like I in just the think culture it tastes
0: wars.
1: Like shit. Um mm. but it's like twenty bucks. And I was like, you know what? Fine, just give me a the message. She's like, Well, you know, uh all the beers are the same price. I was like, Oh. All right, well, um, I guess Stella then. She's like, There you go. Like a real man. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs>
0: What wife? Because you've ordered a pint. I'd be like, because I've ordered a pint of wife beater. I'm suddenly a real man. Come on, honey. Well,
1: I'm thinking it was a culture war thing because I was, because Bud Light. I mean, I didn't even think about it. I was just, I was so stoned. I was just like, sure, domestic. And she's like, what's Bud Light? And I was like, yeah, fine. She's like, well, they're all the same price. And I was like, okay, Stella then. And she goes, good. Like a real man. (laughs) And she was probably like, I would say, like late 50s. And that was right, okay. I was like, fine, okay. The next incident. She
0: doesn't realize that this is the Sparks are about to play, doesn't she? She, does, she doesn't realize the Sparks are about to come on, right?
1: Exactly. I was just like, I meant to say to her, I'm like, you know who's playing tonight? It's not like fucking Motorhead or Dio or Slayer or something. It's like fucking Sparks, I'm sure.
0: There aren't a, a lot, lot of, of real men here tonight, yeah. honey. <laughs> <laughs> like, put it I out just like, like that.
1: You don't have to like call out my masculinity for ordering a Bud Light. You know, whatever. I didn't even realize it was Bud Light. It just said domestic $20. And I assumed a fucking Stella would be like $26, you know? Yeah. um So, anyway, the next incident, I went to Rite Aid, the Rite Aid I always go to right up the street. And uh, I just wanted to get like a fifth of Stoli because I needed vodka. And usually they're on special. Rite Aid's a great place to buy liquor. Even though you do have to call someone over to the liquor aisle to open up the, the, the glass for you because I do live in LA, lots of homeless people. And so I went up to this, uh, the woman who's usually there. She's like an older lady. She's kind of a badass, actually. She's like the manager and she's this older lady. She's got like long kind of grayish silver hair and uh, I've seen her at times wear an eye patch. So I don't know if she has a fake eye or not, awesome. but she, she's kind of a yeah. badass and she has tattoos. So I went up to her. I was like, hey, can I get somebody to open up the liquor aisle? She's like, that's somebody's me. And I was like, great, meet you over there. So I walk over the liquor aisle and uh, I was like, yeah, can I get the uh, fifth of Stoli? Because it was like twelve ninety nine, dollars 99 And she's like, well, why are you going to get the fifth when the half gallon's $19.99? And I was oh, like, yeah,
0: get the half gallon then.
1: Well, I was just like, I, I don't really need a half gallon of vodka.
0: Yeah, you and do. You like, can drink it, you're saving money.
1: I know, I just don't need it. I mean, I don't need a big-ass fucking half-gallon of vodka. I could just, a you fifth do is need fine. it. You'll drink
0: it. No, I'm I mean, I'll lady. drink it eventually.
1: But she looks at me. She's like, yeah, you do. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, well, then fine. I'll take the half-gallon. She's like, attaboy, you made the right call.
0: Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, you have not been emasculated in any way. She's helping you save money. She's really good at her job.
1: I think it was the attaboy. Like, you know, here you go. Drink like your it. vodka. Well, maybe, but she might be contributing, you know, contributing to my alcoholism.
0: So what? You're saving money. I'm, I'm with her.
1: I am saving money, but now I got this big ass fucking bottle of vodka in my house. And finally, the third incident that involved me being emasculated well, by an older woman.
0: You weren't emasculated at all. Then that woman helped you save money. So I think it was can... a bit
1: patronizing the way she was like, "Ada boy." She's older it, than you. She
0: can patronize you all she wants. I'm on her side
1: emasculating. And the third incident was, uh, um, I went to the murder house in Burbank that you asked me to go to. So the subject of this week's show, this is why it's kind of an intro. Cause I think the, uh, the, the woman of this week's show probably would have, would have emasculated me as well. But, uh, Kate was like, Hey, you gotta go to this murder house in Burbank. You know, it's, it's going to be for the show and it's right, it, you know, it's right up the street. And so I looked up the, uh, the address and yeah, sure enough, it's like only like maybe two or three blocks from where I work. So during lunch, I was like, ah, i must go walk over there and check it out. And so I walked up there and it's a nice neighborhood and I'm sure those homes are well over a million dollars and they're not like huge homes either. They're not like these massive like mansions like in Beverly Hills. They're like kind of modest, probably three bedroom homes, but at least like it- 1.5, 1.8. I bet.
0: Well, it last sold in 2014 for two, 2.1 million. Okay.
1: 2014? I guess a little higher than I thought, but ago. around, yeah, yeah, probably like in the, definitely in the million dollar range. So I went over there and I was just taking a picture of the house, like in the street, I wasn't on the property. And, uh, this woman, I would say probably mid sixties. She like sticks her head out the window. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, taking pictures. She's like, why? I was like, because someone famous died here, and my wife wants me to to, to take a pic, and she's just like, you're a bozo. And it's just I like, hate- uh, okay.
0: <laughs> I've definitely talked about this before, because I know the people who now live in Wonderland are absolute assholes, and people come and Google their house, and like, you know, get all googly-eyed for it. And like, I gotta say, the where Elizabeth Short was found is now a house. They just must be used to it, because the amount of people that'll rock up and lay down on their front lawn and take silly pictures is probably, I would say, like what one a day, or if not every other day, there's somebody lying down in your front lawn pretending to be cut in two, pretending to be Elizabeth Short. If you move into a murder house, yeah, I would encourage it, but don't. Don't expect, don't be angry when the deaf hags show up, right? There's a murder there. there are, it's, gonna, it's in the public knowledge. People are always going to come. And I would totally be accommodating to it. On like the anniversaries, I would put out like Kool Aid and like be like, and that's where they found her, cut into, isn't it? Take, I'll help you take a picture if you want. I would start growing dahlias. Do you know what I mean? It's like, embrace it when you live in a murder house. I, that woman's stupid. Like, yeah, somebody died here, bitch, and you'll be next if you don't get out my way.
1: Why not take advantage and charge people admission and, like, get, like, uh, you know, like a mannequin yeah. chopped in half and be like, this is where she was murdered.
0: Dun, dun. Yeah, you could do that on the anniversary of it and just, like, real, bring people through your house and at the end and be like, suggested donation, $5. But you they can Like, what, 10 people doing that?
1: But they can't do anything if you're just taking a picture of a house in the street. Like, if I was on her property. No, they can't. Yeah, like, I, that's why I was surprised that she was so upset about it. But you know, I was wondering too because I mean this is like a murder that happened what in the 1950s. Like maybe yes. she she must have been aware, but maybe I don't know how many people other than people who are like true crime aficionados would know about this murder. So I don't know if she's bothered as much by like as much as like the Black Dahlia, you know, location. No,
0: I think Black Dahlia Tate House are probably the two that, the La two. Oh, yeah, the Labiankas too. All those three Bianca's, are probably yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it's one a day or every other day. There's somebody outside the house.
1: Yeah, probably at the gate for the Tate House on Cielo Drive. Well, anyway, this week we're going to chat about a woman who would who would have undoubtedly emasculated me, Barbara Graham. Oh yeah, yeah. Who, uh, who along with uh, three accomplices, brutally murdered an elderly widow at this home in Burbank, California. You know, I love her nickname, Bloody Babs. That's great. It's.
0: Uh, they just don't name killers anymore like they used to. I just feel that's so boring now.
1: Bloody it was bands. LA Times who gave her that, but none of, them, none of them give a good, uh, yeah, now it's like the freeway killer. It's like, lame.
0: How original, yeah, there's, there's five of bad. them. I'm
1: surprised there isn't a punk rock singer who adopted that name. Yeah, you know?
0: There should be, yeah. there should, definitely.
1: Before we get into all that, let's chat about the Sigrun Patron. So, people, we could really use your support now probably more than ever because Kate's in the process of moving here and uh, costs are definitely adding up. So, if you were on the fence about whether or not to support the show, it's a great time to do it now. Uh, but you Chi-Chi's don't know, coming it, as well. Yeah, and chi that's another thing. I mean, we're shipping a cat. It's, it's costing a lot. So, if you like what we do and you're thinking about supporting the show, we do ask for you to sign up for the on Patreon or go to uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, subscribe to the second show. It's only a few bucks a month, $5 a month. You get access to a full second show every week. Uh, this week, uh, we're, we're going to chat about Kate's homeless phobia. So I know, Kate, you don't like the homeless people. Well, it's not like you no. don't dislike them, but you're nervous no, I do around them. them. I dislike
0: them and I don't want them. Like we (laughs) need to we need a solution where we put them on an island and we can all just forget about them.
1: I was trying to be politically correct. Kate does not like the homeless people. But you also are kind of I was also
0: once homeless, so I can have an opinion on them.
1: But you're also kind of terrified by them. I'm extremely terrified. Yeah, especially the LA homeless people, which I mean in your defense are kind of terrifying. And so over the past, I would say, couple months, you've been sending me screenshots from the Nextdoor app, which I don't think is healthy for you to uh, view on a regular basis because it's going to make you biased. It's going to make you scared, and it's going to make you biased um, because what they report on is all the fucked up shit that happens, whereas there's regular, normal shit that happens every day too.
0: Yeah, no, they do that too, but it's not what piques my interest, is it? Well,
1: anyway, we're going to go through some of the recent um, uh, clips that you've sent me, screenshots that you've sent me, and then we're going to rank them in terms of potential for actual harm. And we'll probably differ be because I've lived here for a long time and you haven't lived here, but we're, we're going to rank them. It's going to be on the Brown Star Scale. We also cover a news story about a Florida man who screamed, get out of here, Satan, before beating his roommate to death with a baseball bat. So that's yeah. only five bucks a month. Second show on the Patreon, as well as on Apple Podcasts. There's two different ways to support the show. And if you sign up, you also get access to the Sick and Wrong Discord. So uh, there's a, a lovable community of deviants on there that uh, you, can, you can maybe even meet your next partner, life partner on the Sick and Wrong Discord, um, as well as the Sick and Wrong archives. And actually, I'm in the process of uh, of uploading all of the archives. It's a laborious process to uh, Apple Podcasts. And I don't know why they don't do bulk uploads on that fucker. Like It's like, what the fuck, dude? If you have to upload... You know, hundreds of episodes. You should be able to bulk upload. We can do it one at a time. Anyway, I'm in the process of doing that, so they'll be up there soon. Patreon.com/sickandwrong. We do appreciate the support. I'm gonna play this quick promo, and then uh, let's chat about bloody babs. Hey, sick and wrong listeners! If you're not a sick and wrong patron, then you might be missing out on special phone calls like this one.
2: I bought a speculum from. Amazon. oh my god um, i get this fucking thing and it's not the best made thing ever
1: uh i should have
0: said this is also experiment there's experimenting sexually together buying a speculum is not experimenting sexually that's being like that's me- for medical use that's there's there's, there's, there's you know... no point if i was at a man's house and he says let's do something kinky baby and I was like, "Yeah, I'm really up for that too. Let's do it." And then he rocked out a fucking speculum. I'd be like, "What <laughs> the fuck? Why do you want to see my cervix?"
1: I wanna, you wanna see what you got it? in there. Let's go spelunking.
0: <laughs> oh. I mean, you fucking you know, put that. Every I... woman has a fear of a speculum. No woman goes, "Oh yeah, baby, put that speculum in." It's like an what, uncomfortable what the experience. fuck is
1: he like role-playing as a gynecologist like a really <laughs> shitty junkie gynecologist? Yeah, this is not
0: kinky sex. <laughs> this is like unsatisfying sex. <laughs> <laughs> what woman has ever said to you, oh yeah, I can only come if you gape my vagina apart? I know. That's I the should, only way I can come.
1: I shouldn't like, be as hard as I am right now, but whatever. <laughs> For just five dollars, you can hear the rest of this phone call, a bonus news story, and about an hour's worth of outtakes every week at Patreon.com/sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong.
0: Okay, so I used like all the main, like the main sources I used, uh, like all the regular hitters. I also used Deranged LA Crimes, which is a great blog site. I've been going on that for years. That's been going for a long time too. And I am going to say this now as well, is that I've listened to a few of a Barbara Graham podcasts and none of them are as filled with all the real facts, like what we're going to present to you here. People like leave out tons of stuff about her and make it seem like she's a really nice person. She fucking isn't. She's a bitch.
1: Well, I think part of it is because they had that film that came out in the 50s.
0: The two films, yeah. Yeah. We but... will talk about that. And I think and there, the was the other... some,
1: there was sympathy because she was a woman on death row.
0: Definitely. Yeah, because yeah, female criminals get treated differently they do and the other main book i used was uh my daddy john gilmore la despair A landscape of crimes and bad times nobody messaged me about john kilmore i am exactly aware of who, what he is and what he does okay you don't need to talk to me about it
1: but this is so a very famous la crime
0: one of the most famous yeah absolutely It was a cold night in Burbank as 63-year-old Mabel Monaghan, a once-famous roller skater who had turned on the Orpheum circuit, was being beaten on the head with a gun. No one heard her cries. No one came to her rescue. She crumpled to the floor of her house, and in case she wasn't dead, she was strangled with a strip of her own bedsheet. And, you know, maybe if Mabel's son-in-law, Tutor Shearer, hadn't been a Las Vegas gambler, then the 64-year-old widow would never have been murdered. But getting a bit ahead of ourselves so we're going to go back to the beginning where day one for barbara elaine graham saw her born in a shabby rooming house in oakland on june the 26 1923 so she's a cancer queen uh, i couldn't let this one slide on this serial killer um star signs so babs has to have her own episode And like the crabs that represent her in the astral sky, she's born cold as ice with a hard shell and an exceptional uh, hand uh, emotional manipulation, especially later on.
1: She's definitely a hustler.
0: Oh, God, yeah. She's like a grifter if ever there was one. The father's sperm donation was long gone. Her mother was a teenager, and he could have been one of her many Johns. And when Babs was two years old, her mother simply disappeared. Don't turn on the waterworks here, all right? Who cares? Her mother, Hortense, had been arrested for prostitution, and she was sent to the California's female reformatory, the Ventura School for Girls. Babs was passed around various neighbors. The last of which molested her. She said, "I can remember a thumb in my twat and a fat arm attached to it. Looking back, I should have bit the son of a bitch. At least I think it was a fum."
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get know, it. I gotta say, there are some great names in this story already. Yeah. Hortense, Tudor—they don't have names like that anymore nowadays. You look at you're, if you look at names for kids, it's like Holden, Prairie, Jagger. Apple. It's, it's terrible. Ozzy. Well, Ozzy's a good name, though, because Ozzy's, you know. Ozzy's, no, I still disagree Ozzy that Ozzy's a good name. Oh, I love the name Ozzy. Yeah. I think. But they should have named it with a Y because Ozzy's about to die. It'd be a good tribute. But Hortense, They should have named my him Oscar. Ugh, Oscar's terrible.
0: But then o- you could call him Ozzy, and he's still got a respectable name.
1: No, O-Z-Z-Y after Ozzy Osbourne. That's what I say.
0: When Haw, oh, oh, yeah, I know you that's love that love name, was released. That's
1: why it's my favorite name.
0: <laughs> she quickly became pregnant again with another daughter, and she shacks up with an older man named Joseph Wood, who was working the rail yards in Alameda. Barbara didn't take well to the new arrangement or the new family life, and she begins acting out. She's going to school when she feels like it, which wasn't very often. She said, what I learned, I didn't learn in public education. You might say, I learned it in the public toilet.
1: She's really living up to her nickname there. <laughs> There's some here. good quotes from her. Yeah.
0: And when Hortense, Haw was pregnant with her third child and her second son to John, he died at the age of 28. Because they lived hard back then. I mean, he'd probably broken his back 20 times. And the once again destitute family has to now move back into a flophouse. Hortense, she's gonna leave the kids alone all day. She brings Johns back at night. She's shagging them in the bedroom as the kids pretended to be asleep on the opposite side of the room. This is when Barbara began writing poetry. Did you ever write poetry? I obviously did, and I still do write poetry.
1: I guess I wrote song lyrics. You know, I did probably write some poetry when I was younger.
0: I think every youth should have a a turn at writing poetry. Like, it's part of your adolescence, and some of us just don't grow out of it. But, as typical for Barbara and for me, all all her poems are full of rage, they're full of self-pity. In one she wrote, The die is cast and turns to ice. Fate is the stone without a voice, and thrown, its path can never reverse. And the die was cast when she ran away for the first time at the age of nine. But she's always caught, she's always returned to her mother and she said, I hate her. I wish she was dead. I look at myself in the window and I see her and I'd say the only face I wanted to see belonging to her was a goddamn grave. I dream of her being dead and I'd pray she'd die." I get it, Get the- <laughs> hatred towards your parents. When she was 13, she first ran away to San Francisco And it was here that she began trading sex for gifts like, you know, candy and money. Maybe it was a childhood spent watching her mother have meaningless sex. But sex means little to her. She said the only good thing about it is getting your orgasm. She later said that. But I highly doubt she ever had an orgasm. Men didn't even eat pussy back then.
1: Yeah, I don't think it was, uh, you know, I think men had orgasms. But I don't think they cared much for uh, the female orgasm.
0: Yeah, especially the type of people she ends up shagging. I don't think any of them did.
1: Well, I mean, if she's getting you know gifts like candy and money for sex i don't think the guys are going to really worry if she gets off
0: the guys but it might be different when she starts shagging the girls well that's true her rep in school was of a bad and an easy girl sure the boys would take her out to abandoned buildings they're going to ply her with lipsticks and candy and they're going to ask for a touch and a feel but no way is anyone there inviting her to like you know can they go to the sadie hawkins dance with her
1: did you did you have Sadie Hawkins dances when you were in school?
0: No, we had exclusively school discos. That's all we had as a school disco. Maybe once a year at summertime, you'd have a school disco.
1: So no prom, no homecoming no. or anything like that.
0: No, no. I think they do all that bullshit now, but we never we never did that. We would just have a school disco once a year.
1: Well, I'm old, and so when I was in high school, it's like the early '90s, but. We didn't call it a Sadie Hawkins dance, but there was one dance where the girls asked the guys, whereas the other, you know, formal dances that you had, like prom and homecoming, it was a guy asking the girl. But there was one dance. They didn't call it Sadie Hawkins, though. Yeah. And yes, I never got asked.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, did Kessler ask you? Did you go to the Sadie Hawkins together and one you wore a dress?
1: You know, I didn't really go to any of those dances. I did go to prom. I did go to prom. Two years in a row, but we were barely even there, but I never went to any others.
0: I only went to one school disco, and I don't know why I remember it so vividly. It was the year nine school disco, and I just I just remember it, but I didn't go to any others. I don't know. Why, maybe I went to the year seven one, but I definitely went to year nine. I remember that because it well, was one of the first times I was allowed outside the house with lipstick on.
1: it was a major issue with kids getting drunk at these dances so like the school like was always like they had breathalyzers and they had a cop there and you would get an mip yeah no they're serious about it but with you guys like you can drink at 16 right
0: no 18
1: oh 18 okay so but But so then i mean you could they didn't serve obviously didn't serve booze probably on school grounds but could people sneak would people sneak in like a pint or something
0: uh, I don't know, because I never went to the later dances. And I also went to a gram school where the rules were a bit different. But we'll say, yeah, definitely in a comp. There were kids probably huffing yeah. <laughs> and shagging sure. and drinking, drinking Malibu and schnapps and shit. But no, I was a good girl. I didn't do any of that. It didn't take long for, like, word of how like easy Barbara was to reach the school board. They called her tents. They said your daughter is trouble and we can't have her in the school. And Babs was actually expelled as a health precaution. Getting <laughs> much to the relief and the sadness of the horny teenage boys, because she's gonna give them the clap. A she's gotta go.
1: Fucking cock blockers.
0: How are they gonna fix the solution? Well, Barbara's gonna be shipped off to a Catholic girl's school. Her solution was obviously to run away again. She threw on some makeup, she caught the bus back to the city, she's looking to go find a job, never come back. On the bus, she actually met an older boy. Who immediately had the hots for the barely legal teen, and he said that together they could swipe a car and they would drive it down to L.A. They booked into a shitty hotel together. At some point, she reveals her real age, and when she wakes up in the moment in the morning, she had been Felmer and Louise. Her new beau had abandoned her and had taken some of the money out of her purse for his troubles.
1: Well, she's only fourteen. She did look jailbait there.
0: Oh, yeah, you'd totally skedaddle. But I feel yeah. stealing from her is a bit. Uh, but it shows you the type of company she's already keeping. Shady. She went around the city that day looking for work. For she found a help-wanted sign in a bar on Geary, but she's later picked up by the juvies at the bus depot. She was either hooking or she was begging for cash uh, for a ticket. We won't know. Her mother actually flatly refused her to be allowed to return home, and just like her mother, she went to the Ventura Reformatory, now awarded the state and alone in the world. So, fuck you, Hortense. Like, you're a bit of a dick, too. Like, take your your dickhead daughter back.
1: Yeah, her mom's a real whore. Tense.
0: (laughs) 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 She's only 14, but she's the prettiest girl in the reformatory. We'll say this about Barbara Brem. She is very, like, easy on the eye. Like, she's not unattractive.
1: I was looking for pics I'm going to post to the site, but, yeah, she's hot. And she had, like, red hair, too. Yeah. Definitely she's kind
0: of got a stern look to her But I think that's probably because of the life she led That led her to have a stern look But yeah, she's fit She's got some DSLs uh, She doesn't actually I was going to say she has really thin lips <laughs> I
1: just wanted to say that
0: But she, do, she doesn't need DSLs Because now she's in a girl's reformatory. So what's going to happen? Did... She's not going to be sucking dick She's sucking flaps
1: I know, but she looks like the type That would just be smoking a cigarette And just really apathetically giving some old man a handjob
0: yeah, and that's her vibe. Yeah,
1: that's the vibe <laughs> that she gives
0: me. <laughs> the first night in the reformatory she's kissed behind bars because, I mean, she's just jailbait. Uh And the girl said to her, honey, in here you learn to have the hearts for a girl as much as for any guy. Because <laughs> she's from the South. Cold as ice, she replied that she'd never had the hearts for any guy. It's always them that have their hearts for me. <laughs>
1: I, I actually kind of For some reason I think she'd have more Of like a transatlantic Kind of accent Like just looking at her But I, mean, I want I this know. to be
0: A southern porno, But yes I can but, see why It would be like but,
1: but, but this does Seem yeah. like a plot For a smut film Reform school Bimbos part two uh, Do you think she was Full on yeah. scissoring At the age of 15 Yeah Wow
0: I don't think there's anything hot. wrong with that. I was sucking cock at the age of 15. What are you trying to say about me?
1: Yeah, but family members don't count. I'm saying, like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gross. <laughs> when Barbara. Turned 16, she was paroled out to the Californian Youth Authority and now she's going to enter the foster care system. She says, you work all day like a dog, scrubbing floors and cleaning and doing the laundry. And when you've done one thing and you think you're free, they start you all over again. Hardly any sleep because you lay there thinking about scrubbing fucking floors. And the only good thing is when I remember the sweet kisses back in Ventura. At the slightest infraction, she was punished and she was made to stand in a corner with slices of raw onion over her eyes. Ooh, <laughs> She's that's very harsh. Very novel.
1: Yeah, that's harsh.
0: I didn't cry. I never cried. And I never said I was sorry. I've never been sorry for anything. I admire her.
1: Yeah, she has some great one liners.
0: She suffered through this drudgery for two years, she turns 18, she's now let loose to make her way, and she said from now on, nobody's gonna tell me what to do, I'll get in my way. She bounced around from job to groin, men's groins, she even got pregnant to Harry Keelhammer, a US Coast Guardsman. He said he'd marry me, and we'd have the kid, we'd have a house someday, he was saving money for it. I knew how to make an omelette and fry steaks and stuff like that, he bought me a new Hoover vacuum cleaner. Very enticing. So the first kid didn't look like Harry, but the second one did. And as you can expect, Babs wasn't the doting housewife or mother. A neighbor reported that she rarely cleaned the house, she wouldn't wash dishes or the diapers, and she wouldn't sweep up spilled food. She chain-smoked, she would put out her cigarettes anywhere and everywhere, she would light another one before the other had even burnt out, and she would just leave them to leave long burn marks on the kitchen counters. She's a slob.
1: (laughs) She's kind of like... Like the June Cle like the opposite of June Cleaver, right? A June Cleaver yeah. with a heroin addiction.
0: Not yet, but that's coming. Yeah. Um, garbage bags would overfill. So, um, all the British listeners will be like, "Kate said garbage and diapers." Yeah, I'm sorry, but it's in America, so it's she did American have garbage story. bags. And- yeah. It's an American story, yeah. And they're overflowed with beer bottles. The kids crawled around in the mess on the floors. She hated her life. She hated what she'd signed up for. Back in Ventura, the girls had told her that she was a heroine, a heart shot. You're a head cat, and you'll die in somebody's dumb kitchen baking pies and changing diapers. Forget that shit. It's like, kind of like a John Waters movie. He's a square. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just not a scissor. square, Barbara.
1: Don't, don't get married and be a housewife. <laughs>
0: Scissor me, bitch. She fell back into prostitution. One sailor said, I found this bottle blonde in a restroom getting screwed by another gob. She looked up at me and said, You want some?
1: You know, that guy's (laughs) probably number 16 that day. And it was like only four in the afternoon. I would have been like, I think I'll pass.
0: Sailors are disgusting. I mean, that sailor was like, Yeah, hang on, I'll just wait. (laughs) Uh, She was actually termed a seagull, which is a gal who follows the fleet. It's a great term. She was eventually busted down in San Diego for dancing naked in a sailor's bar. Later, she said, I would have taken them all on, fucked each one down the line.
1: (laughs) That was a virtuous gal.
0: In jail, she had plenty of time to dream of the Hoover vacuum she'd never used, and the kids that she had emotionally abused and vowed to go legit, but not before she embroiled herself in a caper of the perjury kind. Two of her grifters named Mark Monroe and Tom Sittler... They had robbed and beaten the famous Frisco Madam Sally Stamford, and I kind of fell into a little hole here. So she's an amazing story by herself. She actually ran the most famous bordello in the country at um, 1044 Pine Street. Do you know where that is in San yeah. Francisco? Yeah, you know,
1: I looked it up because when I was reading this, it was like 1044 Pine Street. It's an apartment building now, but it's like, like right- Well, that's the thing. It's right down the street from Top of the Mark and the Fairmont and all those big hotels. So I imagine- People like uh, Fatty Arbuckle and Humphrey Bogart, and even Frank Sinatra was a customer too, would probably stay at Top of the Mark or stay at the Fairmont and then just walk a few blocks down Pine and go shag some bird at uh, 1044.
0: Good for her. She actually, a good story, she once threw Humphrey Bogart out because he was a drunken bar who budgeted, belittled and insulted her girls. We finally had to 86 him, no class. And I get that, Bogie was a drunk. (laughs) But
1: <laughs> I would have loved to hear some audio of that, though. You're a whore, you dirty slut.
0: <laughs> I don't know what bogey films you've been watching, but okay, we'll go with it. I've been on a real Errol Flynn kick this year. I've been reading tons of books about him. And uh, Errol Flynn was a customer, and he, remem- he was remembered as being sweet and a prestigious lover. He was the only customer I ever had who tested all of the talent, including both shifts twice good for you errol he was (laughs) a shagger
1: i'm surprised errol would need to go to a bordello you think that guy could shag any girl at the time
0: well he could but he was a shagger
1: yeah it's just easier i suppose
0: sally's actually going to take the vast fortune that she makes she's going to move to sausalito she opens a restaurant named valhalla and eventually she's even elected mayor and when she dies in 82 at the age of 78 of a heart attack, she'd already survived 11 heart attacks, and she'd also survived colon cancer in her life. The flags around town were flown at half-mast in her honor. So this is for like everyone who's ever been to Sausalito or who lives there. There's actually a life-size statue of her at the visitor center, and there's a water fountain at the ferry dock, and it has the instructions to have a drink on Sally. Hmm,
1: you so know, that's pretty uh-huh.
0: cool. Have you ever been up to Sausalito?
1: Yeah, several times. Um, you know, she actually ran for mayor of Sausalito, like six times. Six times. Yeah, the six elected. times. She was very persistent. But she was like a philanthropist. I mean, sure, she might have had, you know, unethical beginnings as a madam. But she like gave back and like, uh, you know, supported a lot of different people, uh, gave Christmas gifts to uh, impoverished families. I don't recall seeing the statue, but the fountain, have a drink on Sally. I do remember that because I was like, who's this? Like I didn't, I remember I had to who's look Sally? it up. Because I was like, "Who's Sally?" and I and figured out like the per- the purpose of that. But the rabbi loved Sausalito, so when he would visit, oh. we would take a ferry from Fisherman's Wharf to Sausalito, and then go get like clam chowder somewhere. But that was his. Ba- he loved Sausalito.
0: I want to go up and see all this stuff. But it's, um, I it's have very always, my dream job has always been to be a madam. I think I would be such a good madam. <laughs> at like just like ruling the girls and sorting out problems. I think I'd be really good at. it. Could be like Heidi Fleiss. Be in my nature. Hollywood madam. Yeah, yeah, I think I would be. Anyways, back to the deathmobile. These two grifters, they're pinched. They're told the court that they had holed up with Babs at the time of their alleged crime. She backs them up. Well, it didn't take much digging by the prosecutors to find out that Barbara was lying and she was actually swallowing some sweet sperm over in Chicago. And so Babs is slapped with a sentence of perjury. I mean, perjury basically means she's a liar. You can never trust her. Her Light cellmate boy. said she'd lay on her cot at night with a rolled up magazine going up and down between her legs. She loved the neck and kiss a girl all over, and she'd get her face right down and go to work. So, yeah, she's eating box.
1: Yeah, she's like full into she- it. Eating some clam chowder herself.
0: <laughs> she is. When she completed this stint with her mantra that nobody's going to tell her what to do, she skipped around the country and she skipped around on her probation. And so a warrant is issued for her arrest. Her probation officer had to admit that she had no idea where she was or even how to help Barbara, saying she's continually on the edge of winding up in serious trouble. A month later, she's arrested for prostitution in Chicago, and she was sent packing back to Nevada, where she'd been trying to build a life away from her husbands and kids, who she'd just abandoned. In Tonopah, which is halfway between Reno and Vegas, uh, she worked her charms on the chief of police, convincing him that the bust in Chicago wasn't her fault, He bought her sob story to such a degree that he helped hook her up with a job as a night shift nursing aide in the Nye County Hospital. So she knows how to turn on the charm. She knows how to work men. grifter? Obviously, the straight and narrow is not going to suit her for long. And her probation officer received letters and postcards marked from Chicago, all over California, even from Washington. She hid out in L.A. under the name Susan Brewster, knowing that... That if the police picked her up for warrants, she's going to be going for a five to ten stretch.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm surprised. Like, wasn't prostitution legal in Nevada at that time?
0: I think so. When did they make it legal? Was it the late fifties?
1: I'm not quite sure. I want to look into that. But yeah, you'd think that you know if it was illegal in like Chicago and in California, why not just stay in Nevada and give hand jobs? She seems to be pretty good at it. <laughs>
0: Maybe she she follows the fleet, doesn't she? She's a seagull. So she's probably oh, just following people who she can grift. And that'll take her Drunken everywhere. sailors. She marries a low-life barfly junkie named Henry Graham, who shot her full of his sperm first and his smack second. He got her a job hustling at a local bar where she would serve drinks at the front and her pussy in the back. Henry's going to pocket the money to buy his sweet nectar. Henry knew all the best people in the sleazy biz, and one of these was a jug-eared man named Emmett Perkins.
1: I love his nickname, Emmett the Weasel Perkins. It's like Paulie Shore. Yes. The Weasel.
0: He's not attractive. (laughs) Let's put that out there. Perkins has been prisoner number 17624 in Folsom, number 44811 in San Quentin, and he'd stolen cars back in his native Texas to fence across straight lines, something he actually might have learned from the Barrow Gang, who were very famous for doing that, before he graduated to burglary, robbery and kidnapping, just like the Barrow Gang. Perkins was perkier than others around Barbara and knew she could hustle them all in some extra books in the shabby El Monte gambling shack that he rang. There was something going on in El Monte at this time. I think it was a real, like, where, place to be seen. Because this is where James Elroy grew up, too, in the same type. And the way he writes about El Monte makes it, he says it's shit, but it's good.
1: Hmm. I mean, I'm not quite sure. It's like El Monte is just east of downtown. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe it was like a hotbed for Criminals. Not sure.
0: for, for fun and for crime, which is all you want in life. It's obviously not going to be long before Barbara becomes pregnant again. She said it's Henry's, who knows at this point, and they had a quick courthouse marriage to legitimize the kid. Emmett was amused about the marriage, saying to Babs that she needed a kid like she needed a hole in the head, but Barbara didn't want to go for another Mexican abortion, so she played house in Henry's cigarette butt and liquor-littered living room, as she put it. <laughs>
1: What is a Mexican abortion?
0: It's where you go down to Mexico and let the doctors in Mexico <laughs> give you an abortion. It, very famous. Like, all the stars went down. I think Rita Hayworth had something like six or seven Mexican abortions.
1: Like in Tijuana? You just go to a doctor in Tijuana and they just give you some tequila and just suck out yeah, their fetus? Yeah,
0: tequila to kill her. Yeah. Hmm. She turns 28 and 52. She gives birth to her third son and she would soon become bored of that too. The household was not a happy one. Her and Henry constantly fought over money, mainly because it was being mainlined into Henry's veins. She grows to despise him at this point. She said she'd find him cold on the bathroom floor. He'd be drunk or doped and lying in a mess of his own vomit. She told her neighbor, one who often witnessed the fights between the pair, I wish I could come home and find him dead.
1: Well, she was doing heroin as well though, right?
0: Yeah, she's, t- she's addicted, and soon her addiction was as bad as his, and she begins bouncing rubber checks all over town. They fought over fixes, they began to think of ways to... Deli- she actually began to think of ways to deliberately overdose him or poison him and claim the life insurance money. Luckily or unluckily for Henry, he stumbled out of a bar and into the arms of some waiting cops who discovered a packet of H in his top pocket. Barbara didn't have the money to bail him out. She didn't even have the money for her next hit. So she doesn't really care about Henry at this point. She's being kicked out of the flop house that they rotted in, so she packed her fixings in her purse. She took the baby to her neighbours. She called Henry's mother, telling her to come collect her grandson because she's out. She caught the next bus east to El Monte to, to El Monte to go and make some quick cash with Emma. Like, she loves abandoning her children.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, like, she seems like she has kids just abandoned all over the country. Yeah. (laughs) Like in the Midwest (laughs) and the West Coast.
0: She's a great advertisement for abortion, let's put it that way. (laughs) Emmett's more than happy to lend a friend a helping hand, and he introduced her to a suavey-looking man with wavy hair, a pencil-thin mustache, and thick glasses. He's kind of hot, and he's called John slash Jack Santo. Jack was a shady character. He painted his own backstory as a diver, a gambler, a prospector, a mining engineer, and that he was even a mercenary for the fascists during the Spanish Civil War, which Errol Flynn kind of was. He went to the Spanish Civil War. Wait,
1: Errol Flynn was a mercenary?
0: He was a reporter, investigative reporter, but he was there for the Spanish Civil War.
1: Yeah. He even
0: got injured by some shrapnel. And then it was reported that Errol Flynn is dead. He's dead. But he wasn't. And when he came back to Hollywood, it was like, oh, I'm so glad you're fine, Errol. <laughs> uh, he may or uh, like Jack may or may not have been all of those things. But one thing is for sure that he's a career criminal with a quick and a deadly reputation. He's tied to numerous robberies and assaults and at least six or seven murders before he even smelled Bloody Bub's perfume. Emmett had been involved in a few, and although Jack was the most vicious out of the pair, they're both bound in blood together. Barbara listened to their talk of a Vegas gambler who was running a club that had a built-in safe at the time. So here he is again. Lufa Tutor uh, Shearer was running the club under the watch of Mickey Cohen. But Tudor was running around behind his back, he's stashing money at a house in Burbank, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth. And the only person in that house was a little old widow, and also it was his ex-mother-in-law.
1: So Tudor opened up a number of casinos for the mob in Vegas, as well as like uh, Palm Springs. And he had a bunch of underground ones too. So he was definitely very mobbed up. So, no, I mean, you don't want to if,
0: fl- you don't want to rob from him.
1: No, you definitely would not want to rob from him. But I imagine if like you know these like low life gangsters like Emmett and Jack Santo, if someone was like you know Tudor Sharer is putting money, you know, is hiding money in this like home in uh, you know in, in Burbank or whatever, um, I would probably believe it because you know that guy would have access to a lot of cash.
0: Right, it costs you believe it. So they're going to scheme a quick and quiet heist, and Barbara's going to have a starring role in it. The morning of March the 11th, 1953, the day after a full moon night, it saw Gardener Mitchell Truesdale pulling his truck into Widow Monahan's drive. He mowed the front and the side lawn, and then when he went to go and get the gate key so that he could mow the back lawn, he saw that the door was ajar. He knocked. He waited. He shouted for her, but he's only met by the sounds of her restless Labrador, Ziggy. Ziggy's a great it's a dog great name. Dog, yeah. Ziggy's roaming near the back door. He could see in the side the house, and it looked like a cyclone had hit it. He could see furniture was turned over, the carpets had all been clawed back, drawers had been pulled out and emptied, and then he noticed the blood. He saw a trail of it leading down the hallway. Then he saw her body. She's laying lengthwise across the hall, her feet in an open closet and her head near the doorway to the bathroom, which was covered in a pillowcase. Her hands had been tied behind her back. There was blood on the den wall and the floor leading to the closet where she had been dragged. He ran next door to the neighbors and he called the police.
1: So was, was there only one woman that lived in this home? I thought his ex-mother-in-law lived in the home as well.
0: That's her, Mabel.
1: Oh Mabel, okay. So the mm. widow was also his ex mother in law.
0: His ex mother in law, yeah, and they have a really good relationship as well. So they may have divorced, he may have divorced her daughter, but they're still totally But He's pals. still
1: okay, so he's still close with uh, with, with his mother in law, ex. With
0: Mabel, yeah. So det- these detective names are just perfect. Detective E. J. Vandergrift and Harry Strickland. It's just perfect.
1: <laughs> you would think that was like a perfect name for someone out of L. A. Confidential. Yeah, Yeah, Harry Strickland especially. Yeah.
0: So they arrived, they cordoned off the house at 1718 West Parkland Avenue, Burbank. They noted that the chain link was unbolted and undamaged, meaning that the killers had simply walked in. Vandegrift said the lady's blood was splattered everywhere. A lamp was burning beside an easy chair. The house had been ransacked, everything emptied and gone through. They'd even prowled through the bread box and the stove. Whatever they'd been looking for, it appeared they'd been desperate as hell to find it.
1: And so that was the house that I went to and got called a bozo at.
0: You're a bozo, yeah. Sonny Jim.
1: <laughs> she, she's just like, you're a bozo. When I said I can was I there come because in someone see died. Them?
0: Yeah, can I come in and see where she died? Yeah. <laughs> My wife asked.
1: I just want to lay on the floor and pretend I'm her. Can you take a picture?
0: I would do it. Totally. (laughs) Latent prints were all over the house. The prints on the wall couldn't be identified because the assailant had worn gloves, um, but they did find overprints. They managed to get photographs of footprints and a layer of dust. The killer had washed the blood from their gloves and then they dripped water and blood on the back porch. Rigor mortis had set in and then it had passed on the body of Mabel. She'd been dead for around two days. Her head was covered over with a pillowcase tied tightly around the throat with a strip of bedsheet, knotted then cut so the ends were on the floor. When the pillowcase was removed, it was clear she had been beaten severely with a blunt instrument, a piece of metal pipe, some kind of blackjack or a pistol. Strickland's first guess was that she had been bashed in with a hammer.
1: Hmm. Do you think they covered her head with the pillowcase? Just to kind of like limit the, the gore and the splatter, or do you think they actually no, didn't want to see the blood?
0: It just makes it easier for them to kill her because it dehumanizes you. I was thinking about that because that's what they did with the Labiancas. It's like oh, you put the pillowcase on. Yeah, so when you're stabbing them to death, it's just easier because you're not looking at a face in terror. It's just become a. Bo- it's dehumanizing them to do that. Okay, so, so they, they weren't
1: it. trying to contain the gore. They're just like, you know, it'd just be easier to no. to look at her, her, you know, terrified face while they bash face. it in with a hammer.
0: Exactly. Her body is taken to the coroner's office where cheap autopsy surgeon Dr. Frederick Newbar confirmed her time of death as being on Monday evening, March the 9th. He concluded that she had died of asphyxiation due to strangulation and cranial hemorrhage. The head was covered in numerous wounds, lacerations, and abrasions. I actually looked at her autopsy report, uh, so you can see all of this. Her skull had been crushed in two places, and she had one semicircular mark over her right eyebrow, which kind of indicated that she'd been struck with a hammer. She was strangled not with a person's hands, but with some sort of soft material, possibly cough, which, you know, was at the crime scene.
1: I wonder if she was, so if she was asphyxiated, so she was probably killed by strangulation, and then... She probably didn't have to suffer with the head bashing.
0: Well, I think they beat her until her oblivion until she passed out, and then they strangled her.
1: Oh, and then they strangled her. All right. So
0: she yeah, got so brutalized. She's an old lady.
1: Like, you think you just tie when her up? When you see the
0: pictures, when you see the pictures of her, the first thought that came into my head, you know on Event Horizon when you see the, like, the weird people that come from the other dimension yeah, yeah. the isoids the icelings she kind of looks like that <laughs> she looks Sorry, like one Mabel. of those aliens she looks like like i think the icicles yeah she's just like that's what she looked like to me i was like oh she's like on a vent horizon
1: <laughs> i just don't get why they had to be so violent it's like they could have just gone in there put a pillowcase over her head tied her up on a chair and then ransacked the house and left like they didn't have to bash her head in
0: these are evil people we're talking yeah. about. They're, they're also not the smartest of evil people either. She hadn't been sexually molested or assaulted and when detectives uncovered a purse stuffed with 500 in cash and another purse filled with 10 grand's worth of jewelry, they wondered if robbery had really been a motive after all.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right, they aren't the most intelligent.
0: <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you take that? Like, even if you're looking for it. a safe.
1: Yeah, but maybe they didn't find it. No, I think yeah. they did. And they left because it? They lived, yeah, they looked no. through everything idiots.
0: Los Angelinos, that are outraged that a crime so vicious against what appeared to be a little old lady had taken place. The police are now under huge pressure to start making arrests to solve the crime, but without a motive, no real proper prints and no other physical evidence, they had nothing but time. But in time, they also knew that someone from the underworld is going to crack and it's going to sing like a canary. They discovered it on the night of March the 9th, an anonymous caller around 10pm had been placed asking for an ambulance to be sent to the Parkside address, but the caller didn't say Burbank and so the ambulance never arrived. They began to dig into Mabel's personal affairs. They found out that her daughter Iris Sauder had been married to Shady Lou Fashira. They had divorced on friendly terms. He left the Burbank home to Iris. But when Iris moves to New York with her new husband, she gives the home to her widowed mother. Luthor often, often stayed at the house when, with Mabel when he was in town and he kept in touch whenever he could. So there's no bad blood there.
1: Yeah, it sounds like he's close to, uh, to, to the family still, even though they're divorced.
0: Iris and her husband, they put up a five grand reward for the ca- a capture of her mother's killer. So the police are chasing, they're closing down leads. They launched an all around the clock hunt for information. And the jackpot 5 case spat up a small time crook who sang about a bunch of crooks planning the caper in the jailhouse. And someone else spilled that a con named Baxter Shorter, an ex-con from San Quentin, was involved. I love this name. Burbank Police Chief Rex Andrews. That's who you want is your boss, a man called Rex Andrews. It's almost a point. Rex is a great name. name. He pulls in Baxter for questioning and he rouses him from his slumber in his bedroom at 121 North Flower Street in Bunker Hill. Rex said Baxter was a worm, a kind of character with liar written all over his face. Now would be a time for your voice. He had a sheet a mile long and he'd been in and out of jail like being through a revolving door. See? That's how Rex talks.
1: Did they talk like that in the 50s? Gangsters or was like No that... one
0: ever talked like that in real life. It was just in the movies. Remember
1: Edward G. Robinson? Like he was a actor in a lot of the thir- in like the 30s and 40s and he used to like keep... they modeled that after him like that sure. <laughs>
0: You know who's severely underrated and remembered? James Cagney, who is very sexy. And you know, he's a dancer. He was a dancer by trade before he became like a really menacing. He's the one who's like, this is my Tommy Gun, see? Yeah, That's he very James always Cagney. pretty
1: gangster, yeah.
0: Love James Cagney. During the tough questioning, he, like uh, Baxter, claimed ignorance on the Monhan job. He refused to shake loose information about the characters called Perkins, Jack Santo, and apparently a gal named Mary who had been associated with them. But he kind of stewed on this information all overnight. But he's going to arrange a plea deal to save himself a trip to the gas chamber. He told the police that he had gone along on the job as a lookout, a barefaced lie, considering he's an expert safe breaker. And he's actually in on the job uh, to break into the one safe that Mabel supposedly had.
1: Yeah, Baxter was a very well-known uh, safe cracker, which I've always thought would be an awesome skill to have.
0: Me too. I would love to be a safe cracker
1: you can yeah. just listen to it You've got your little stethoscope listening to the clicks and then you know they pull you in just for that part of the job but you're not there for any like you know the violence or the brutality you're just like i'm here to open the safe
0: yeah and being a lock picker too i would love to be a lock picker but i just don't think i have the patience for it like, they it's make like it kind look so like one easy,
1: of those you know, in the movies yeah. but i bet you no it's it's not easy i've tried actually i've even had like a, i remember when i was a kid i had like a lock picking set it's not easy
0: i used to play a game called hitman and the entire point of hitman was like you would be stealthy you had to be stealthy as possible when you were doing stuff like that like picking locks and trying to like kill as few people as quietly as possible but i was terrible at it i was like i just want to kill him i would just go in and be like "Fuck this
1: is that the game with the ball, guy? Just shoot them all. the ball the yes. ball yeah i remember i played that one the, i played the first one but yeah, it's, nah, yeah i, I only played the until. first
0: one it wasn't for me uh Baxter said he wasn't keen on a dame being involved in the job, but Emmett said that old lady Mabel, she's paranoid. She's paranoid she's not going to open the door to a bunch of boys. They need a lady to give them entrance into the house. So the gang meets for dinner at the Smokehouse restaurant, which is still open and since the 50s has been a hit place to hang out. Actually, again, here's Bogie and Jimmy Dean. They're just some of the diners who would eat steak dinners on white tablecloths and in red leather booths. It's very American looking. No doubt a classy meal is going to fuel the unclassy events that are about to unfold when the foursome are going to take off when it was dark in their two cars and they're going to make the two-mile drive to meet their date with death.
1: You know, I drive by the Smokehouse Restaurant like every day on my way to and from work. But I've actually never awesome. been in there. I've never been in there. I've never we should go. I, I do want to check it out. I mean, it's, you know, it was founded in 1946. It's one of the oldest restaurants in Burbank. And it's like very well grounded in the, uh, the entertainment industry. Um, so like back back in the day, you'd see like Bob Hope was a regular there. Bing Crosby, um, that was in the original location. But now it's right across the street from Warner Brothers, and uh, because it's you know its proximity to Warner Brothers and Disney, that's why all the uh, the famous people, at least celebrity sightings, occur there regularly. Um, but now, you know what I've read that, uh, you know, back in the day, you had all J- James Dean hung out there, Errol Flynn, Milton Berle, Judy Garland.
0: Oh my God, I love Milton Berle.
1: <laughs> yeah, he had, um, you know, he had a huge cock, they say.
0: He did, he did. It was he like used, one of the biggest in Hollywood history.
1: Yeah, Wackerley used to always tell that story. He'd like be at parties and just whip it out and slam it on the table. It was um, like a piece
0: of meat, yeah. Like
1: a salami. Uh, today, uh, you have like, people like Andy Garcia, apparently, and George Clooney that hang out there.
0: Makes sense.
1: So, And Clooney even named his production company Smokehouse Productions after it. I, I do want to check it out. Well, when you move here, we, we should go there and at least have a drink. I'm, I'm sure it's not the most vegetarian-friendly place in the world.
0: You say that, but we had a really good dinner at uh, Elvis' Steakhouse, and Marilyn, where Marilyn Monroe met Giorgio Maggio in uh, Vegas. That was a, I think about that, that dinner all the time, actually. A lot of steak steakhouses of
1: do have good fish. That's fish. true. I've never actually, I don't and, know. I don't know, what, I don't know if it's just a meat place or what, but it does look like you just, just to go in there and have an old-fashioned would be kind of cool.
0: We'll do it, definitely. Barbara was using the almighty alias of Mary. She cleans up good as the men park under the dark of some trees, and then they watch and wait. She went up to Mabel's door, she rings the bell, and as predicted, the porch light didn't turn on, the door didn't open. But after a few moments, the door opened, you could hear a murmur of conversation, it drifts on the wind as the men crept up behind Barbara. Barbara's act was that her car had broken down and she was worried, it's dark out, it's a full moon night, could she possibly come inside and use her phone? She'd be ever so grateful. Mabel's reluctant, but Barbara is beautiful. She's friendly, and no woman should be out on her street by herself at night. Mabel opens the door to Barbara, and as she did, she opens the door to death. To death, D. It's going to come in.
1: Well, you know, nowadays, I don't think they'd open the door for anyone. I think they'd just shoot right through the door.
0: I could kind of see that. Well,
1: that's what kind of happens. That's <laughs> what happens in the US. It's like they don't even ask questions, they just shoot you right through the door.
0: I actually think I would be legitimately terrified if somebody started knocking on my door at, uh, at like, 10 p.m. I'd be freaked. I would probably ring the police.
1: What? I, would, I wouldn't open the door, especially because it's a situation Who comes to your door like at that this. time of night? Well, I would ask, I would be like, hey, what's going on? but I'm not going to open the door, and I could call the police for them or call help for them, but I'm not going to let them in my house.
0: I'd be like, I'm just calling the police instantly. Get the fuck away, I'm calling the police. Karen. Don't come to my abode.
1: You're Karen.
0: Baxter waits in the car. He said to Santo he's going to come in once the safe has been found. But a little while later, Jack comes out to say that they actually need help finding the safe. And when he comes inside, it's obviously chaos. Mabel's on the floor in the hallway. She's bleeding. She has a gag in her mouth. Barbara was stood over her with a nickel-plated revolver, saying that Emma needed to knock the widow out. Baxter didn't want any part in a bloodbath like we were saying before, he's a safe cracker. He's not a murderer. Not because he's an upstanding moral man, you know, but because he, want, he doesn't want to do any sort of time on a murder rap. The gang gave up the ghost. They split back into their two cars. Baxter dropped Jack off at the pickup point and was told in no uncertain terms that he should keep his fucking mouth shut or else, buddy. This would also be a good cockney caper as well. If we're not doing it like James Cagney style, this would work as a cockney like, Ray Winston could be in this film, as Well, Baxter if it was Charlotte. in the
1: UK, but this is out here, it wouldn't, yes. wouldn't make sense.
0: Well, we could rewrite the screenplay, too. There are no laws. <laughs> on the way home, Baxter actually found the nearest telephone booth at a gas station. He dialed zero to get an operator, and he told her that the ambulance was needed at Parkside Drive. But it's too little too late, Baxter, in it.
1: Well, at least he has a conscience, compared to everyone else.
0: Uh, somewhat of one a very small part by spilling his guts though his days are numbered and he had an x on his back only a few weeks after the slaying and a few days after his confession him and his wife were kidnapped by gunpoint by the usual suspects his wife is fine i'm just going to point this out she survives the cops impound an abandoned sedan that they believed was used in the kidnapping they trace it back to jack santo's girlfriend it had recently been repainted and the mat in the back of the truck was missing. So police chemist, another great name, Ray Pinker, he found small pieces of wood and a very small yellow flower. So the wood was ribbon wood, found only in Southern California, usually in the, I will probably butcher this, San Jacinto? San Joaquinto? Close enough. Yeah? (laughs) Have you ever been there?
1: The San Jacinto Mountains? Yeah. I think I've driven through... I don't think I've ever, like, hiked or anything. But, you know, uh, I, might be, I might be mistaken, but when they do the, when the flowers, like, in spring do the summer bloom, I'm pretty sure it's San Jacinto where people go out and take pictures because it's crazy. It's, like, all really colorful.
0: Oh, right, yeah. I've seen that on the old Instagram. The influencers go there.
1: Yeah, everyone takes pictures in the flowers.
0: Maybe it was this flower that's blooming because the flower was a uh, Metzelia affinis. And that can also only be found high up in the same mountains.
1: That could, that could be, and then all the influencers go out there because it's like the spring bloom. It could be that particular flower.
0: If it is. So if they had buried Baxter Shorter on a lonely mountain road, it's as likely as close to heaven as he is ever going to get. But his kidnapping, now it leaves the cops with a huge problem. Their star eyewitness was AWOL. They had to arrest the perps that he had fingered and they had to arrest them fast. They swarmed the apartment building at 5124 Imperial Boulevard, near to where they had discovered the sedan, and inside they busted Perkins, Santo, and Graham. All three had already had warrants out for their arrest. Both Perkins and Santo were already sought in the connection of uh, the murder of Eddie Hansen, a former owner of the Last Chance Mine in Maine. His throat had been cut ear to ear a few days before Christmas in fifty one. A month before that, the Folsom Folsom police were tracking two men that had been involved in the torture killing of gold buyer Andrew Coulson. He had been bound and his feet set on fire before he was dispatched to the hereafter.
1: Why did they set his feet on fire? They're trying to find out where
0: the gold is? Yeah, it's totally like a mafia technique, isn't it? They'll set your feet on fire.
1: Yeah.
0: In October of 52, just before Devil's Night, grocer Gard Young was cruising in his Chrysler and he had his three young daughters, seven-year-old Jean, six-year-old Judy, and three-year-old Sandra Gray, and a friend, four-year-old Mike Sally, who wanted to be an airplane flyer when he grew up. They stopped by the bank to cash checks. He had almost $7,000 in the car, and this is obviously 1952, so $7,000 is probably $70,000 today. Or a million. <laughs> and they ate ice cream. But shortly after this, they all disappeared. A huge manhunt's called, pictures of the grocer and the children appeared in newspapers across the country. A few days later, a man called Jerry Bridges from Chestertown was out deep in the woods hunting when he came across a car that was half hidden off the side of a logging road. Jerry thought the Chrysler was deserted until he got closer and looked in the window. Jerry said, I could not believe what I was seeing. Four small children, bodies inside the car, beaten on their heads. Blood was everywhere. Right down on the ground next to the car was a foot and a half length of metal pipe of blood on it. I opened the car door and I checked the children who were all dead, but the littlest one made sounds and was still alive, although she had been smashed on the head. I frantically contacted the highway patrol over the truck radio.
1: Ooh, that's brutal. Like, I... why, why do they have to kill the kids?
0: Well, they're witnesses, aren't they?
1: Kind of. They could have I mean, at least
0: shot the kids, though, like yeah, smashing say, them.
1: beat them with a, with, a, with a metal pipe. It's terrible.
0: You know, there's a lot of brutal child killers in the 50s, more so than what you hear today. It's like there's at least a couple a year where you're just like, and six kids were killed. Whereas now it's like you rarely hear of like, you know, massacres of children unless it's by, you know, an incel shooting up a school. But that it's doesn't count. yeah. High Patrol showed up, they sent Sandra to the hospital. As they investigated the car, they found the body of Guard Young in the trunk. Apparently he had been beaten to death with the same pipe that had been used to kill the kids. She survived because she had been on the far end of the back seat. So whomever had committed the crime had to reach the furthest away. So you know the blows they glanced by her head instead of shattering it. It didn't have the strength. For being so young, she had pretty vivid memories from the event. She knew it was two bad men who had hit her sisters and Mike. And when she was shown pictures of Perkins and Santo, who had been in the area at the time, she got scared when she saw the photo of Perkins. I'd be scared too, because he's very fucking ugly.
1: So whatever happened to her? Like, I imagine there must have been some therapy required there.
0: I, I did hard Googling to try and find her, and I was looking through old newspaper articles, and I just couldn't find anything. So I imagine... She probably got fostered out and then just grew up and it would just be a terrible event. I mean, she was so young.
1: She's probably probably seen shadow people, I'm sure.
0: Oh. (laughs) But now California's got some scars to settle with this dynamic child-killing duo. Barbara's booked for seven counts of forgery. She had gone on a shopping spree in March and April and she had passed $226 of rubber checks. Although their original Star witness was now six feet under, another grim associate named Drac True stepped forward to provide expert testimony. He's going to testify that he had been with the gang when they had cased the Monahan home, but he had opted out of the plan when he learned that it was Bigwig Tushira that they were robbing. He naturally doesn't want to end up on the slab dead of a lethal uh, hot lead overdose. He helps drive the car and keep watch, but he said he wasn't going to take part in the dastardly deed. You gotta take what he says of a pinch of salt, because he's also a Korea criminal too, and he's doing this to get immunity, but I also kind of believe him.
1: Well, I'm sure you don't want to cross someone like Tudor Cher. I mean, he's got all these ties to Mickey Joan. Yeah. And so if they found out that he exactly. robbed or murdered you know uh Sher's ex ex mother in law, I'm sure he would be able to get some uh, some people after him. So it's probably just look I'm sure he doesn't really care that much. He's just looking after himself.
0: Exactly. Cops are going to guard him day and night because they don't want the same fate that met Baxter to fall upon him. On June the 3rd, uh, fifty-three, the Free hot cons were indicted by the Grand County Jury on charges of conspiracy to commit burglary, robbery and the death of Mrs. Monahan. If found guilty, the death penalty would be mandatory. In her jail cell, when she heard the news that she could die in the chamber... Apparently, Barbara collapsed to the floor and she collapsed so hard that she lost her ability to speak. Mm. But that didn't stop her from bragging that she had once gotten into her role, she she would be a better actress than Sarah Bernhard. She was going to have to act extra hard for that Oscar because the trial opened with the testimony of John True, who's going to finger all of them. I just love that phrase, and he fingered them. Some of my favorites. I'm sure
1: she's been fingered many times. But I love the histrionics. Like she's just like putting it on, like really thick here too, to kind of garner some sympathy. So wait, was Sarah Bernhard, Sandra Bernhardt's mother?
0: I don't know. Oh, you mean the uh, the making comedian, Sandra yeah. Bernhardt? Oh, she could be. I don't I know. I know Sarah Bernhardt was like a, a really famous stage actress. I'm looking and then that she up. went into film. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I love Sandra Bernhardt though. John told her it was Barbara who brutalized the old woman. She begged for mercy as Barbara clutched the widow's hair. She cracked the gun into her skull. Blood was flying everywhere. The freesome bound, gagged, and beat the woman. And then as she lay dying, they tore her place apart. It was Barbara who washed her gloves off in the sink, and it was Barbara who said that they should leave. They all left the house with basically nothing over the blood bond that would bind them all to hell.
1: Well, that's the thing with the. Uh... Perkins and Santo like they were killers like I don't think Barbara was just you know a experienced murderer but you know I don't and that's the thing I don't think they would have hesitated to kill Monaghan because I mean they've obviously like bashed in little kids heads you know but the putting the pillowcase over her head doesn't seem like anything that they would have done Like, I think they would have just bashed her in with a hammer. I'd I'd be surprised that they would be like, we need to put the pillowcase over her head. Because I don't think they need to dehumanize the victim. I don't think they care about it. So that makes me think that who else would it be there? Baxter, who probably was missed most of it. True, who says he was in the car. Or Barbara. And now Barbara, as hard as she is, I don't know, I, I... Makes it makes sense to me that she'd be the one who put the pillowcase over Mabel's head and suffocated her. Now, I don't know if she did suffocate her on purpose or she would suffer with the you know getting her head bashed in, or if she just didn't want to see her face as she was you know getting hammered in the head. So, I don't know, maybe Graham's not guilty of the beating, but she's definitely responsible for asphyxiation.
0: Well, she definitely hit her with her gun, so she did beat her, and I do think it was her who was like. Rather than, especially for your first murder, where I think things are usually like a lot faster. I think she probably did the thing where she was going to use strips of cloth to strangle her. Because it's not exactly like she's putting her hands on her. Do you know what I mean? But then maybe five murders from now, she would love strangling people. It would be her thing.
1: Um, Yeah, I, I could see that. But I just couldn't picture her taking a hammer and just bashing this old woman in the head.
0: I think that was the boys, but Yet. she definitely hit her with her gun, the gun she had. So she's just as guilty as that. Well, she's
1: definitely just as guilty.
0: LA newspapers, they pressed for details. They printed the bloody details, and it was the Herald Examiner that dubbed her, uh, Bloody Babs. It was the examiner, so it was props not to the, the journalist. Papers. Yeah. Back in her jail cell where she was snubbing the cops and locking her lips, that didn't stop her from locking lips with fellow jailbird Donna Prow who was doing a two-year stint for manslaughter after she'd killed a woman and seriously injured three others during a drunken head-on collision. Donna told Barbara that she had a fixer on the outside and for a cool 25k she could set up a setup where they had been together on the night of the murder. So the fixer pays Barbara a visit in jail and it turns out it was a sting operation from the inside and he was a cop and all her sweet nothing conversations had been recorded. Hmm. The audio was crystal clear when she admitted that she had been with Perkins and Santo and she gave vague replies that she knew Baxter wouldn't be attending the trial.
1: So Donna was selling her out. Was she going to get like uh, you know, less time I guess if she uh, yeah. sold out uh, Babs?
0: Yeah, but wouldn't you? I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. eat her pussy if I'm only going to be in here like a year less. Yeah, no, why not? True's testimony and her desperate attempt to buy an alibi might have been enough to steal her fate. But the actress wanted her moment in the spotlight too, and she took the stand in her own defense. We all know that moment, what that means. She is doomed. A juror said she blatantly lied. We were well aware that this defendant had already served time for perjury everything she said seemed to be a lie. She'd sit there joking with Santo and Perkins during the trial in a very coarse manner, and she would share a cigarette between them. It was very difficult for any pity to be aroused for these individuals.
1: Well, that's the thing. Her credibility is completely destroyed. I imagine it wouldn't be that hard for a prosecutor to be like, you know, she was convicted of perjury only a few years ago. So how can you trust this person? But what's funny about her is I just love... I love how sassy she is. She's she's like the queen of sass. Because when she was questioned about her actions at the trial by the lawyers, she said, oh, have you ever been desperate? Do you know what it means not to know what to do? And she just kind of is like, always has a sassy remark.
0: And it's very bitter sassy remarks, too. She's like, yeah, I tried to buy an alibi because you do the same. It's like, well, no, if I'm innocent, I'm not going to try and buy an alibi, bitch, because I'm Um, She's
1: desperate. I think that's her point. But yeah.
0: The jury deliberated for less than five hours. Santo and Perkins were child killers. They're later going to be tried and sentenced to death for that crime too. And they're never going to walk free. All three were found guilty in the Monahan merger. The jury recommended death. Shackled and heavily guarded, Santo and Perkins, they're taken aboard a train car that would take them on the overnight ride to San Quentin's death row. Hearing the verdict, you can see these pictures as paparazzi's papped her response. She snapped back to the court. As long as they find me guilty of something I didn't do, I'd rather take a gas chamber than life imprisonment. Again, an innocent person wouldn't say that, would they?
1: No, but I kind of agree with her.
0: This is the thing that just makes me convinced she is 100% a hustler, a, like a shyster, a grifter. She got the press to take pictures of her emotionally hugging her youngest son goodbye. He's like this tiny toddler who's probably never met this woman up until now. And she's maintaining her innocence, saying, I am innocent of this crime. I swear to God, I am innocent. I hope my baby drops dead if I did it. Well, Wait. by all rights, he should have dropped dead then.
1: Yeah, which one of the babies? Like the ones you've abandoned across the country? No, she has no moral compass. Need. She really doesn't. And it is funny. I mean, this is a complete act. This is like histrionics. And I found that picture, actually. I'm going to post it on the site. But you can just look at her face. It's just like it, her eyes are almost soulless. You know, but yeah, yet definitely. she's still holding the kid, and it looks like she's crying. Yeah, no, it's a publicity yeah. stunt.
0: And if you really loved your child, you would never want your child to be brought in front of this kind of spectacle of an event where it's like, say goodbye to the mother you never knew who had already abandoned you to go and suck dick in Chicago town. Exactly. Yeah. The appeals ran all three scheduled for execution on June the 3rd, 55. At the end of November in 53, she's moved to the hospital ward in San Quentin. She's the only woman amongst um, 4,800 men, which is something I think she no doubt secretly loved. Although she found the sausage of another man to keep her full during the stay here. And that's the sausage of God. She obviously turns to God. They always fucking do. Baxter Short's mother appealed to Barbara saying that she would financially care for her free, very much abandoned children if she would just tell her where her son's body was. Barbara replied back coldly, the man in the moon should know more about him than I do. Baxter Shorter, his remains have never been found, and he was declared legally dead in 1960. So she's being brought back to San Quentin now from her holding cell, and when she was entered San Quentin, she's given a sedative for her toothache, and she's taken into the holding cells. All night she chain smokes, she drinks a chocolate milkshake, she listens to the radio, she softly plays jazz records and a portable phonograph, and she's waiting for the 10 a.m. call to death. Santo and Perkins, are down the hall. They're sitting side by side in adjoining cells. Uh, maybe they're holding hands <laughs> through the adjoining cells because they're such good buds. The warden had placed a TV in front of them and they watched the Groucho Marx show. They smoked cigarettes. Both of them declined a final meal. Perkins fell asleep as Santo stayed up to watch a John Wayne cowboy movie. 6 a.m., a matron brings a chocolate ice cream sundae to Barbara, but she could only eat a few bites. Oh, diddums. Perkins is still asleep. Santos is awake. He's eating pears for breakfast. What a nice healthy choice. In her Hmm. cell, Barbara changed into her good outfit. She puts on some pretty earrings, and she puts on the wedding ring that she had ever barely worn in real life.
1: I'm surprised she kept the wedding ring and did not try to sell it or pawn it. Yeah, like
0: hawk it. Yeah. At nine, right. This next part is so they they really push this in the movies, uh, both movies. This next part is like to try and garner sympathy for Barbara. At nine fifteen, the governor rings and he says he's ordered a last minute stay because they're still considering the case. This happens. Barbara collapsed just like she did in a cell many months ago, and twenty minutes later, the governor rings back to say the execution can now go ahead. She's taken to the doorway to the gas chamber, but then the phone rings again and she's got another stay. She complains. She says, I can't take this. Why didn't they let me go at 10? I was ready to go at 10.
1: It's gotta be a bit nerve wracking. I mean, it's like your your date of death or your time of death keeps getting pushed. I wonder why last minute she got a stay. Like, I wonder why they were reconsidering it. I wonder if it was her lawyers that were pushing it or if they found other evidence.
0: Yeah, it's a, the lawyers push it, and they try and work every angle they can. And it even goes to, like, um, the Senate and all of that, doesn't it? Well, it's so, usually
1: up to the governor. It's the governor's call. Yeah,
0: and he could say, well, what, yeah. what information are you trying to tell me? And they were like, they push for everything, anything they could think of to try and make you think, oh, this is maybe an uncalled for thing. Mm. They still do that now. Because they obviously don't want to execute innocent people. But, I mean, Barbara's not innocent. So. Yeah,
1: she's far from this. So same. yeah,
0: but I, I don't think it's uncruel. I mean, this this woman want, helped beat someone to death. What the fuck ever? Who cares about her end? Like, I'm not for the death penalty, but I kind of think she's right to suffer a little because Barbara hasn't really suffered in life. She's very selfish. So an hour and 18 minutes passed. The new time set for 11.30 a.m. The witnesses watched as Barbara crossed the threshold from the holding cell into the chamber. She's blindfolded. She's the only person to ever face the gas chamber wearing one. Her cheeks and mouth were pale and tense. She was trembling. They seat her in one of the chairs and they fashioned the straps around her arms, her legs and her upper body. She said to her guard that her chest strap was too tight and so he loosens it. Guards give her the traditional advice of, Count to ten. Breathe deep. And don't fight the gas. It's easier that way. And she snaps back, How the hell would you know?
1: <laughs> so sassy.
0: Sassy, even to the end. Her last words, a warning to all mankind, were, Good people are always so sure that they're right. Whatever that means, Barbara. It's kind of, that's what I mean, it's bitter. She's a bitter woman.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, she's obviously saying she's being judged.
0: The door's shut... The volume pressure um, adjusted, the seals were locked and the lever drops the cyanide pellets down into a hole in the floor beneath the chair that she's strapped in. A witness said, I watched as Barbara took a breath like taking a deep breath and then her lips moved like she was saying something. Her upper body was sitting stiff in the seat and then her head dropped forward on her chest. It stayed down for a second or two and then it jerked up against the back of the chair. Her neck down the sides of it got really white while her face, her skin turned darker, almost like she was being sunburned, a darker shade. She was clenching her fist and she stayed like that for a few minutes while we all stood there looking through the window. Then her head dropped, dropping down against her chest, which started to beat or quiver. Then she was just very still. Bloody Babs was pronounced dead at 11.42am. As the exhaust fans sucked out the cyanide fumes from the chamber, she was left strapped to the chair for an hour and a half. She had drooled. She had vomited onto her death suit as well as emptying her bowels and her bladder too. But what did you expect? She's not classy in life, so she's not going to start in death.
1: I've always said that. If I was ever executed, I'd want to eat like a ton of Taco Bell. So it's going to be messy. (laughs) Messy for everyone. But memorable. Gross. You know, she was the third woman in California to be executed by gas. So, I mean, two other women had been executed previously, so she wasn't the first, but they hadn't done it very often. So I imagine this would have been like a huge media sensation because a woman on death row about to be executed, a woman who committed a brutal murder. So, I mean, yeah, it would have been, I'm sure it was like definitely in the public's eye.
0: I looked it up as well. So the first woman executed was ex- ex-gangster ex and wrestler Juanita Smanelli. She was the first uh, for murder. And second was serial killer Louise Petty. And both women are highly unattractive. So I think Barbara <laughs> coming in and being so beautiful and kind of unrepentant too and being like, I'm innocent. Whereas these other two women were like, yeah, we fucking did it.
1: it like Eileen Totally Warnes. different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The chamber's fumigated. It's made ready for Santo and Perkins, who are to be executed side by side, which was a specialty at San Quentin.
1: Hmm, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, they had two chairs in the gas chamber. It's for ease, isn't it? Just yeah,
1: like... These guys really were buddies. <laughs> it's like they're—you know—they committed murders together. They die together. They just hang dinner. on in death row. It's like, yeah. Uh...
0: I was thinking it. I was like, if I was going to go into the gas chamber, I would want a buddy to be there with me because it makes it less nervy.
1: I just need Taco Bell.
0: these two men were happy they walked down to the chamber it was first santo then perkins they chatted quietly as the guards strapped them in santo gazed around the people in the witness room the ones who were about to watch him die perkins seemed a bit more uneasy than santo but just before the lever was pulled santo said don't do anything i wouldn't do which is great last words because, you know, there's very little the pair won't do. Perkins died in six minutes and Santo died in seven. Both were buried in Papa's graves and both went down side by side.
1: Were they uh, holding hands?
0: I wanted I- that for them.
1: Yeah. Because if you're in the
0: gas chamber with your mate, I'd be like, can we hold hands? It's not like we're going to be escaping anywhere, but it would just be nice like to hold a hand. intertwined. Yeah. Oh, no, you wouldn't. That's a bit gay if you do that with your, your male buddy. Well,
1: I'm thinking these guys were pretty close. Oh. <laughs>
0: I'm just thinking like a solid bro, like handshake. Like if you and Jojo in the gas chamber together holding hands, it would just be like a bro beef boy. No, we would
1: intertwine fingers for sure.
0: Would you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara's legacy lives on. Her funeral was sparsely attended. She's buried in Mount Oliver Catholic Cemetery in Marin County. She has a very simple placard. This is when it all kicks off. In 1958, Susan Hayward won an Oscar playing the ice blonde in the film i want to live which left the public with a very sympathetic taste in their mouth for the original barbara graham and by the time Lindsay wagner stars in the made for tv movie in 1983 same title the public verdict came back that babs was snow white and she had just been simply drifted you know she hang around over the wrong crowd
1: well obviously they glossed over a few details there about her background
0: yeah and i mean a lot of people come from terrible horrible childhoods but that doesn't mean that they have to go out and kill someone you know well
1: that doesn't mean that they're like you know living a life of prostitution abandoning their kids murdering widows and committing petty crimes no it's just they just have a life of hardship that they unfortunately had to deal with
0: they definitely make her out to be a lot nicer than she was but i mean she's a cun barbara's a (laughs) cun i wouldn't have wanted to hang out with her anyways like, in real life, I just think she's a dick. Because at least Santos, I was saying this to you before, at least Santo and Perkins knew they were evil. And they're not sat there in the gas chamber with a blindfold on, being like, oh, good people always think they're doing the right thing. They're like, you know what, we were bad fuckers, and we're going out as bad fuckers. And I appreciate that. And I think yeah. that's the way it should be.
1: They're not collapsing in their cells, <laughs> fainting. Yeah, and
0: then... Not-
1: yeah, putting on the water Neither waterworks. of them would be... Being- yeah.
0: Neither of them were like, oh, our stay of execution. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo. Like, we're going to die two hours later. They were probably just, like, sucking it up. Being like, this is the way the fucking world is. So fuck her. Because no one had to kill Mabel Monaghan. Murdering her had little to do with robbing her. She was murdered because somebody wanted to kill her. And all three condemned had a reason to kill. And Barbara is no innocent participant. On the afternoon after the executions the sun was shining brightly. Mabel Monaghan should have been stepping out of her house onto the fresh-cut grass to look at her flowers, admire the beautiful sky herself. Instead, she lay in waste. Murdered by nothing, by no ones, whose only future was an early date with death because, after all, some people don't respond to civility.
1: And that's true. And if she hadn't been murdered and she was able to step out of her house and onto her fresh-cut grass, I probably would have been called a bozo years later by the current resident. If you think That is true. Um, I read that this amazing quote that I think we should end with here from, from Bloody Babs. She says, someone was asked her, I guess, if she was a prostitute or what she thought about prostitution. She said, sure, I was a prostitute and a damn good one. Why do people make so much of sex anyway? It's part of our natural makeup, like getting hungry for food. If you want to eat, you go to a grocery store or a restaurant. If you need sleep, you sleep. If you want sex, why not get it? I think that kind of okay, sums well, up her like. whole attitude. Why not get it? You why want, not, you yeah, want some money? Why not kill an old woman for it? Yeah. You know, just very self serving. Anyway, um, people, this episode 904 here Sick and Wrong. We got some phone calls coming up next. You can call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323 522 4032. But first, let's play this brief message from Adam and Eve
2: Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. This is Trucker Paul. I gotta tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack-off machines, dildos, inflatable wives. I've bought them all. When I go home, I like to diddle my wife with a a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow-up doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com Type in the word fiddle. D I D D L E. And you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. How do y'all flick my balls? I put a spell on you.
1: So, you got a couple phone calls here to get to. People can call For the sure Stick Around Hotline at 323 522 4032 or. You can email the show. Just send us an mp3, podcast at gmail.com. So this first caller is calling in about long-distance dating.
2: Hey, D and Kate. So, I'm I'm listening to episode 903, and uh, D is talking about not wanting to drive to Santa Monica to date some chick. And I understand that. No.
1: Yeah, but I'll fly to the north of England to day one.
0: <laughs> you know why? Diamond level pussy.
1: Exactly. It's men all will about fly. The, if, it's, you
0: have, if you have a DLP, the men will fly anywhere in the it's world. It's about to that diamond level. Ladies. It's worth it. Yeah.
2: I live in Sacramento and about about 40 miles away is Vacaville. Now, in
1: Sacramento... I give myself a seven, you know, in Vacaville. I'm- Damn, he's like ranking himself kind of high in Sacramento, but okay, you, Sacramento, know, Vacaville yeah. sucks. Vacaville sucks. It's like a little country town, but it's about like it's. I just want to halfway between San Francisco and Sacramento.
0: I just want to point out here that 40 miles in Britain is kind of... Yeah, it's long, and we complain about long distances. But 40 miles isn't really that much. That's like from what? Like Carlisle to, I don't know, Newcastle? Hexham? Yeah, I would date a, somebody in Hexham.
1: But it's a pain in the ass. You just jump on a train. Like, you would have to drive there. There's no train that's going yeah, to that's Vacaville. Yeah, that's true. Ju- and it's just a pain in the whatever. ass. It's easier to just date someone in your own city. Nine. Oh, he's and a I, I met a this vacancy. gal over there and
2: she was fucking hot. But it's a 40 mile drive to get to her. And, you know, the reason I stopped dating her was because she had she had, had lighting installed to cast a shadow so she could look at so she could look at the shadow of me
1: banging her from behind. Well, not just me. anybody. But, but she- wait, why would you break up over this? That's kind of cool. That's hot. Yeah, I kind of like she's like into the shadows. I would be making like shadow puppets with my hands while I'm going at it. it
0: that's what you do afterwards for entertainment, you know, when you're lying there. And I do just it like during, so or... it
1: looks like we're having a threesome with a duck. Hello, duck. <laughs> Hello.
0: Are <laughs> you in the threesome, Jennifer Lopez?
1: Knava taco. a taco. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing. Set,
2: set up lighting so she could watch herself being banged and see the outline of her fake tits. And, uh, you know, she was, she was hot. It was pretty good. She had cute feet. Yeah, she, she had it going on. But, man, 40 miles is just too much of a drive. <laughs> So I totally understand what you're saying about not wanting to drive to see some
1: gal. Anyway, that's my take on the situation. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Lick my balls. I I mean, I I fully empathize (laughs) with that. It's like, the thing is, with dating someone in Long Beach. It's over forty miles. Like if you're, oh, it's not forty miles. It's, it's it's actually closer than forty miles. But I'm saying in terms of time to drive all the way out there, it's not going to take you forty minutes on a Friday. It'll take you an hour and a half just getting through traffic. So it gets yeah, to the point where you go. kind Another of become Los resentful, Angeles, you know,
0: complaining about traffic.
1: Well, I mean, you become resentful, and thinking. then you got to think of like, well, how many times does she come to see me versus how many times do I come to see her? And it's just like this whole thing. I'd rather be like, fuck it, date somebody you could just take a a lift. Or an Uber too, you know, and just go meet a restaurant like in your this, own city.
0: I like this shadow lighting that he was talked about. I always like it when uh, you go to a dude's house and they have, like, the floor length mirrors. Like, you know, the mirrored uh, wardrobes and shit. So you can be like, I'm going to watch myself get banged. It's hot. That's what
1: I have. But what about, okay, what about if you go to a dude's house and they have a mirror on the ceiling?
0: Hot. I've always wanted, this is like part of my 12-year-old dream where I wanted a round bed with satin sheets. I've always wanted a mirrored ceiling in the bedroom. It's Just hot.
1: Covered in Although spunk. when you wake
0: up in the morning, it's probably not as hot. You're probably like, oh, God. You know, when you first wake up and you look like shit, you have to be confronted with it.
1: The old uh, Tropicana in, uh, in Las Vegas, now the Trap they, they've renovated and it. it's really fancy. But before, the old Trap... They used to have mirrors on the ceiling in certain rooms, and you could ask for it. You could be like, "Yeah, I want a room with a mirror in the ceiling." It's like, okay. "Oh, is it?" I
0: was about to say our local nightclub blues used to have a mirrored ceiling. <laughs> I thought you meant a nightclub, not a hotel.
1: No, it's your hotel room, and it's great. I like having that. All right, um, but yeah, I agree with that guy. It's like fucking forty minutes what a pain in the ass. Um, next call we have here is from the driver who calls in about uh, nice. about getting a vasectomy, which seems to be like a very common um, call that we've been getting these days. Everyone's just kind of like, oh, dude, it's easy. No worries about it. Still yeah, good. frightened of having surgery. But anyway, here's a driver calling in about his vasectomy.
4: Yo, Dean and Kate. Hope y'all are doing, uh, doing great and everything's pretty chill. Um, just heard the call from the... British guy about uh, his vasectomy, thought I'd chime in a little bit, um, pretty much everything is spot on, it's just, uh, I guess, for the procedure I had here, I don't know if it's different over there, but they did cut, so there is two cuts on on both sides, so they'll have to stitch it up after they, after they pull whatever y'all call it out and cut it, but...
1: Wait, so he got stitches. The other guy said it just skin closes up because it's kind of like a microscopic like hole.
0: Yeah, maybe he had the, the microscopic thing where they go in and burn it off, but maybe they did it with manhandling where they went in and like the doctors cut it themselves.
1: Oh, they got to manhandle your bollocks. They'll be numb. They'll be um,
4: I guess if you get a boner, they'll tape your wiener down. Because <laughs> it can't be in the way at all uh, get
1: get Wait, did you get a boner? I want to know about this This is hilarious It's like, dude, quit getting an erection like, Could you imagine being turned on by that? My shit would be inverted It would be like inside the scrotum I'd be, you know, I don't know I'd be very nervous Loads about of
0: dudes it. I say loads of dudes Like I've known loads of dudes But <laughs> loads of people have like a nurse and doctor fetish Don't they? Like Schlitzie I imagine Schlitzy Schlitzy would be the type of person who would probably get a boner and be like, what do you think of that, nurse? (laughs) And the nurse would just be absolutely disgusted. Just
1: smiling like a pervert. Yeah, Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. What's going on down
4: there? And uh, what else? Yeah, when they cut the tube or vein or whatever transfers your sperm... (laughs) It feels like cutting like a thick bungee cord almost. But they clamp both sides down. And yeah, they do cauterize it. They have like a little cauterized pen.
2: God, this is
1: making me fucking nauseous. It feels like snapping a bungee cord. Gross. Yeah, you're
0: going to get it done. Get get over it. We have to have worse. We have a period once a month. You're going to have like a day of discomfort. No,
1: it's way worse. Could you imagine having a child? Ugh. It's way worse.
4: I guess you can say they they uh and you do smell burning like skin or flesh from that as well um what else it's not too bad honestly i mean sounds i guess depends on your pain tolerance or how much you care for procedures or whatnot i wish i had a mirror i mean i was talking to them the whole time i was just curious about what the hell they were doing because you're kind of just laying there looking up at the ceiling while you've got two people working on your stuff and I'm I'm just a curious person and was just wondering what, what moves they were doing and I mean, shit. I don't know, maybe it was just my nervousness, but I wish there was a mirror to you ask, but I guess that'd be a little weird and you'd probably pass out like you said.
1: Yeah, that's the thing with me. I do actually have a very high pain tolerance. I can get tattooed for six hours. It sucks, but I actually do have a high pain tolerance, but I can't look i can't watch somebody like doing surgery on me like if i saw like when i i went in and i had uh surgery on on my knuckle i couldn't watch it it makes me physically ill to see them cutting into it the you know the injections that they put in and whatever like that doesn't bother me it's viewing it and i think that the part of it is you're supposed to like you know extract yourself from it and, and and think of it as not being on your body as being like on somebody else's body I can't, I'm not willing, I'm unable to disassociate my mind. And just by looking at it, I get disgusted. I get like nauseous.
0: I'm with driver. I would totally, every time I go and have like anything, not even surgical, but I'm always like, what's that? Let me look. Like, show me (laughs) to all the doctors.
1: Yeah. It's not the pain that freaks me out. It's just the idea of it. Of like, what's going on? Like, I don't even want to think about it and then the other thing i have like and i think this might be genetic because my father the same way i don't trust doctors like
0: i think it's look i think i'm kind of on that way as well because people always forget that doctors don't know it all they're always practicing yet doctors seem to have this air of arrogance about you but i've always dealt with a lot of i would say out of all the doctors i've dealt with there's always been there's only been two that have been horrible to me. And one of them was the woman who gave me an abortion. She was so judgy. Like, she had no right to be judgy. And actually, one of my friends put in a complaint about her. So I had an abortion. And then a couple of weeks later, one of my other friends had an abortion. And same doctor. And she was older than me. So my friend put in a complaint about this doctor. And, like, they had to go up before, like, the medical exam board. Good. Because she was really mean. I'd be like, they, do your you fucking job. You don't have job. to be mean.
1: Yeah. No, like, but your...
0: you don't have to be mean. Yeah, you don't and, have like,
1: to... Be judgmental about it. It's like do your fucking job and shut up. That's like, that's what you <laughs> don't,
0: do. Don't be mean. Whereas nurses, man, nurses are the best. I have the high, like I've always found I get better. Like the best doctors I've always had have been the nurses who then train to become doctors because they just like nurses want to fucking help you. And a lot of the times I find that nurses know more than doctors because they're in the thick of it and they yeah, see it's like everything. experience. Whereas,
1: well, yeah. here we, we have uh, nurse practitioners which can like do a little bit more than a regular nurse but not quite as much as a doctor like you don't have to get a med degree to be a nurse practitioner but you still have to have more than just a regular nursing degree so i've noticed that like kaiser where i go you'll see a nurse practitioner before you can get a chance to see a fucking doctor and that's one of the reasons why i don't like that place is it just in terms it's just the medical institution in general in the states i feel like they just don't give you the care most of them. I'm. I'm probably just saying this from personal experience. I'm probably biased, but I don't think they give you adequate care. I think you're just kind of like a number. Come in, stitch you up, blah blah blah, whatever. And then if there's complications, it's just a fucking pain in the ass to get treated.
0: Well, so, will cost you ask them. That's why I'm like. Why very would you be anything else? Doctors.
1: But yeah, I would be grossed out. I could never watch it. I'd be i I'd be puking. Well
0: I'm gonna come and watch. I'm gonna be like what are you doing to his balls now, Doctor? Let me tell tell him in vivid detail. So D, they're about to like bring out the cauterizing tool. But it's gonna smell like hot dogs in here for a second. Oh they D, they're burning your balls right now.
1: This I would actually wouldn't doctor. mind because you can make sure that they're not doing anything untoward to my testicles. And guard like
0: them. what would be untoward? Like putting know. them in their mouth?
1: Maybe. Who knows? Who knows what what could happen while I'm you know,
0: do you think your balls are so magnificent that the doctors are just going to want to do untoward things to them because your balls are like so good?
1: You never know. You never know. You So <laughs> I need somebody, I need a, a testicle guardian. That's your job.
0: <laughs> My official title. And, uh, yeah,
4: after the, after the procedure they'll prescribe you what like a uh, hydrocodone. I didn't have to use it. It was I really just extreme blue balls for like a couple days and then and about a week and that's about it but yeah it's not too bad um i guess like i said pain tolerance if you can do it then you'll be you'll be pretty chill
1: how long is the procedure that's what i want to know is it like a 10 minute thing because that's the other thing with kaiser i don't like kaiser and i definitely probably won't go to kaiser to get like some major surgery Done, but a, a vasectomy—they probably do like fifty of these a day. You know, it's just like it's like I doubt neutering they do a dog. 50 you. Come on, you know, it's like I don't think it's that but big yeah, of a deal. But that's
0: how easy it is.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I, that's why I'm not as freaked I have? out by it.
0: This is the question I have that none of the male listeners are talking about. I want to know about your sperms afterwards. Like, is it still cloudy? And what's the taste like? And what's the consistency like? Like, does vasectomy jizz taste and feel different to non-vasectomy jizz? Like, is it like switching from full-fat milk to skimmed milk? Because that's, in my mind, what I imagine it would be like.
1: Well, I think you should pose that question to the female listeners. Unless you have, like... Uh, and the male. You know, well, I'm sure there's male listeners who, who probably also appreciate the taste of cum. But I don't think most, I don't think Driver is going home and just jacking off in his mouth so he could taste it. (laughs) But maybe Driver's, you know, girlfriend or wife or whatever, she might be able to weigh in on this. But I'm sure we have gay listeners who who could probably, but gay listeners, gay people aren't probably getting vasectomies.
0: Well, yeah, because it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, because it doesn't matter. So I think we kind of need either men, straight men who like the taste of their own cum or their wives or girlfriends to weigh in on this one. But I'm curious too. I wonder if there's a difference in taste. Cause
0: this is a point about most men is like, you obviously never, like it's, I'll taste my pussy. It doesn't matter to me. I'll put it, you know, put my fingers in, taste it. It doesn't mean anything. But like men are like, oh, like if you taste their own cum, whatever. But isn't that like a strange, like Jermaine Greer thing to never know about yourself. Whereas I, I know the consistency of men's sperm.
1: Yeah, but I'm so I not feel like fucking, I could tell, but I'm not eating other bodily secretions. I'm not like picking boogers and eating them. I'm not pulling out gross. earwax and That's eating gross. that. I'm not like That's trying my own pus. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to try my cum. It's like not something I even want to do. Sure. I enjoy. I enjoy making it and expelling it, but I'm not like sitting here being like, I wonder what that tastes like. I this just curious for it. science. <laughs>
0: This is like it's a Troy I sure enjoy making it.
1: <laughs> oh, it's it's fun. It's a factory down there. I like making
4: it. Nothing too crazy. I mean, shit. Do you want kids or do you want to go through this for a week and you'll be good?
1: I agree with him <laughs> on uh, that Yeah,
4: point. just wanted to chime in real quick. Got some calls. I got to call back. But uh nice talking. We'll uh, hear from you
1: soon. All right, bye. So, you know, he did call right back with another. uh couple final words here
0: as i say i love his voice yo driver
1: again sorry i had to
4: chime in a couple more things with the vasectomy um they give you like a kit so um instead of having to go back to the doctor and come in a cup you can just come in a <laughs> come in a cup at home and just FedEx that shit off Thank and them. then they can just see if you've got any sperm left over but yeah you, a lot of winking afterwards
1: Wait a second. So they send you a kit and you got to come in it and then mail it back to them? Or do you drop it off?
0: Yeah, you'd think the sperm would die if it's not delivered.
1: Yeah, you'd think it has to be fresh.
0: Mind you, sperm can live in the vagina for seven days. So maybe sperm can live in a cup for seven days. If it's a special type of cup.
1: I always thought you'd have to go to the doctor's office and the nurse, like, you know, with a huge rack would come out and be like, all right, what do you want? Jugs magazine, Swank, Hustler. And then you just pick a magazine, go in there and just, you know, toss one off and be like, okay, here's my cum. I
0: think that is how they.
1: That's what I thought. I didn't think they just give you a kit and you do it at home. But don't get me wrong. Either way works for me.
0: I would prefer to do it in my house with cum cup. Yeah. Yeah, Here's your very own cum cup.
1: Yeah. Why not? Fill that shit up
4: because uh i had a buddy of mine he didn't know that he had to wait or jack off like 30 times until he can have unpredicted sex and he had another kid like a two weeks after he had the procedure so he was surprised but yeah don't don't make that mistake all right keep (laughs) your sticking wrong
1: I love how his buddy's just like, yeah, I just got my tubes cut. First thing, blowing in her. You know, he's like, I'm gonna cream pie that (laughs) shit. It's like I would be waiting. I would be waiting to make sure. I'd have like my little cum calendar where I'd just be like xing off the days. You're like, like what do they call that? The nativity calendars. I'd have my cum tivity calendar. (laughs) And then it's like at the final end, it's like cream pie day.
0: It's like a very special. <laughs> well, I'm day. not gonna. I'm gonna be mysteriously out town for cream pie.
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna get you like a Boston cream pie.
0: <laughs> I really, I would like to try Boston cream pie. So that would be fine with me if that's my cream pie or a banana cream pie. I want to try that too. Well, and then be- I'm just gonna go straight to sleep because i have eaten too much pie. Well,
1: Wait, wait. What about the Jew cream pie? No. <laughs> <laughs> That th- that tastes way better than, the, than both the other ones put together.
0: Well, I actually don't know if it tastes better because in my mind, I just feel it's going to be watery. I feel like it's going to taste, it might take the consistency out. Like, because there just won't be, there won't be living sperms in it. So it's just like, it's kind of like when you go and have a cocktail that's got no alcohol in. Yeah, the flavor's there, but it's disappointing. Well,
1: it still has the consistency of sperm; it just doesn't have living sperm. What I'm hoping is it's more aerodynamic, so I can be across the room and like shoot it, you know, and and aim it better, so oh, I can hit no. the eye.
0: You've not been able to do that since <laughs> you were fifteen.
1: You only just to aim right for the eye. What eyes. is it?
0: Steele always talks about. He was like his first couple of loads when he was in his teen years, which is so powerful, and then they just they taper off.
1: Yeah, they do. I just wonder if it's like the same color. Like, is it going to be like just clear or will it be white? I've always heard,
0: like I've never looked into it, but I have heard that it like becomes less white and it becomes a bit clearer.
1: Well, I am looking, the one thing about this, obviously I'm dreading having to go into a doctor and having them like inject my balls and do things to it. But I am looking forward to like having to wank 30 times, you know, once, once a day. And then when you come in the room, be like, go away, baiting. (laughs) Would <laughs> be saying that every day. <laughs> Thank you, driver. Uh, you're you're giving you're you're boosting my confidence here. You're making me a little less nervous. And I know we have some other listeners. Um, uh, a listener named uh, Cody hit me up on uh, on on Instagram, and she's she was like, "All like, you should definitely get a vasectomy." Said she was gonna call in her own story about it. So I imagine you definitely um, need to hear it. Yeah, we we, we quite a few callers. I would say quite a few listeners have had an experience with vasectomy. So, yeah, we want to hear from you. 323-522-4032. Uh, big ups to everyone who support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you helping the show. And, yeah, as I said before, we're spending a lot of money to move Kate here. <laughs> so if you could help us out, we definitely appreciate it. And you can also sign up on a Apple Podcasts. It's really simple. It's like you don't actually even have to go to Patreon. You probably already have the podcast app. Just click subscribe patreon.com slash sickandwrong we appreciate it uh, if you want to buy some merch we do have a, a tea Public Store just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and click on the picture of the Pope finally here sick and wrong song of the week we're trying to find something appropriate to uh, represent um, Barbara Graham and her, her last couple days or I guess last few hours in her stay of execution um, and the song that, uh, that Kay Rambo picked was uh, The Girl on Death Row by Lee Hazelwood and Dwayne Eddy. Dwayne Eddy's playing guitar on that song. Um, it's from a comp that I found called The Twang Gang. Came out in 1960. I think it was a single that they put out, but they included it on this comp called The Twang Gang. Yeah. People, if you don't know Lee Hazelwood, he's one of my favorite country artists. So I would definitely go check him out.
0: And producers
1: and producer, like, yeah, yeah. And you know he was a he was a radio DJ before he became yeah, a singer. And-
0: Fun fact about Dwayne Eddy as well. Without Dwayne Eddy, there would be no cramps because Poison Ivy uh, stole a lot. Well, not stole, but she she, imitated her licks on Dwayne Eddy. So without Dwayne Eddy, who's fucking fantastic.
1: In tribute to Dwayne Eddy, that's how she learned her licks. But yeah, Yeah. girl on death row. We're going to end that show here. Dedicate that one to Bloody Babs. People will be back next week with episode 905. Till then, take a sleazy.
3: Her eyes were once So full of dreams Her young heart filled With lover's schemes Now every second must borrow. They take her life tomorrow. Is she guilty? She says no. The girl on death row. Now someone holds her trembling head. Another says, please understand Why can't they see it in her face? Another should be in her place Is she guilty? She says no The girl on death row Her young dreams never will come true Her innocence they never knew Until they found the guilty one They're sorry now for what they've done But it's late, too late For the girl on death row The girl
2: Hi, this is Christopher Walken. I, uh, calling in is sick and wrong
4: with a joke. Uh, what's the difference between Amy Winehouse and a moped?
3: A moped can make it to 30. Gotta go. Bye.